You're listening to the You Mentor Talk Show on YouTube Live. I'm your host, Fatima Al-Sayed, and on this weekly talk show, we invite experts to take us through their journeys as professionals in their fields. Remember, if you have any questions for our panelists, you can always leave them in the live comments section or on the comments section before the show on the Emoja app. On today's show, we welcome Sahar Jabir. Born and raised in Hamilton, Ontario, Sahar completed a bachelor's degree in sociology sociology, and is currently completing a double honors in sociology and communication at McMaster University. She has completed some Islamic studies in Lebanon and hopes to integrate that knowledge into her work. Sahar started an Islamic publication company known as Figs and Olives Publication, where she published her first book, But Why is the Hijab So Special? And this book aims to educate and inspire young females about the hijab. It is currently available on Amazon and through direct contact. And the main goal of the publishing company is to provide a reliable educational Islamic resource to parents. Sahar is currently working with another inspiring author who she'll tell us about at the end of the show. And her goal, um, goals and aspirations in life are to empower the Muslim generation through literature and knowledge. Assalamu alaikum, Sahar. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Wa alaikum assalam. It's an honor. We're so glad to have you. And this is... Um, you know, this is something that there's a big lack of within our communities. So it's great that you have, I, I'm excited for people to learn about the journey and the process of everything you did, because it was so difficult. <laughs> um, and people don't know how much work went into it. Yeah, no, it's, uh, they see a book and they see it so simple, but the amount of work, like it's, it's definitely the hardest thing I've ever done my whole mm -hmm. life. So. <laughs> Um, and just to let people know, Sahar did all of this while living in a village in Lebanon. Um, <laughs> so I think this is, this is going to be a great story. Um, so let's start off by, um, can you tell us a little bit about your background, your education, um, you know, how you got to the field that you're in? Yeah, so I was uh, born and raised in Hamilton in Canada uh, most of my life and uh uh, throughout my life, I was always a minority, a Muslim minority in the community. Um, I decided to pursue uh, sociology and communication studies in McMaster University. And um, I've always loved and inspired authors. I, I've just always felt like um, they're able to create such a, a beautiful uh, form of art. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was really um, something that I've always wanted to to do and uh, it was always at the back of my head that I had to complete something like that yeah and I know that you had some I think uh, radio experience and you wanted to get into something like uh, the journalism field so what what changed that and how how was that process yeah so when I was actually deciding on which career path to take I actually enrolled into a journalism program mm -hmm. um, and um, I was really deciding that that, that was it because when I was in high school, I went to a high school that um, didn't allow Muslims uh, in. It was a Catholic high school. Uh, we were the first Muslims that actually um, protested that Muslims should be allowed to enroll into a Catholic high school. And so when I actually enrolled into the high school, I uh, they had a TV announcements. Mm -hmm. And I was, you could say the bishop of the school, always liked to have conversations with me. Um, and he was the one that was in charge of that program. And so when I actually decided that it was important for me um, to not allow my hijab uh, to stop me, even though I'm a minority in a Catholic school, 
-hmm. I decided that I wanted to uh, go into as being the first um, hijabi uh, news announcement for the school. Uh, and the bishop actually allowed it, but I did see um, some people really confused as to how Muslim was representing <laughs> the news uh, for a Catholic school. It was, it was like the teachers were surprised that I had that role. That's and a courageous step to take. Like, are, did, were you worried about how people would perceive you at the time? No, I, I, I didn't care at all. Um, I really, uh, in high school, being a minority actually empowered me. It didn't mm -hmm. hold me back or make me feel like I had to fit in. I was very comfortable with my hijab mm -hmm. in the environment that it, it, people's opinions didn't matter. Um, it was, it was just me trying to prove uh, and be authentic to myself and and worship God my uh, the way I believe Allah mm -hmm. wants to worship Him. Um, so it didn't bother me at all, no. Um, and after this, you ended up. What did you end up uh, pursuing in university? Yeah. So uh, at that point, I actually decided to change uh, career paths and uh, uh, educational paths, and I went to communications and society and sociology in McMaster. Uh, when I was in McMaster University in Hamilton, um, I was still very passionate about uh, uh, news, radio, uh, being vocal. And so I enrolled with the MSA, Muslim Student Association, uh, as a radio host. And I used to try and integrate the Shia perspective uh, within the news, uh, within had the discussions that they have of what's happening around Muslims yeah so that was pretty much for my education was it hard to I think um from like I studied also at UFT so I know that the MSA was a little <laughs> um iffy in a sense that it was hard for people of different like sects to get into it. So was it hard for you to represent uh, the Shia perspective? Um, did you find any backlash at that point? Yeah, so I actually represented the Shia perspective very discreetly, very softly. <laughs> I would mention Sayyida Khadija. I would mention any time, any point of time I could about Imam Ali, alayhi salam. Um, but it was a very funny incident because I was on the show about four or five times and they would have like they they would love me to be on the show with them. Mm -hmm. And then um, one of the times I was actually praying in the university, and the lady I was working with saw me pray. I still remember <laughs> seeing her mouth drop. Oh my god! She saw my hands down, and after that, um, I stopped hearing from them to be on the show or to join them. So. After that, they actually didn't invite me anymore and they didn't ask for my opinion. And uh, even when I would ask them, so when's the next show, they would just avoid the question. Mm -hmm. uh, totally, yeah. So what did you, did you like fight them on this or did you just say, okay, whatever, I'm just gonna continue and. Yeah, so I had a lot going on. Mm -hmm. uh, I was working two jobs. Um, as a teacher uh, with an Islamic school and customer service and completing a degree and yeah. like about to move and transition into Lebanon. Um, so I had too much on my plate. So I didn't, um, I just avoided it. Um, even though I felt like I should have, I wish I could have actually, you know, asserted my position, my uh, freedom to actually speak from a Shia perspective. Um, and I hope other 
students actually do that um, to never be quiet. It wasn't that I wanted to stay quiet. It was just that mm -hmm. my the time just didn't really allow me to fight for those types of things. <laughs> well, you're here now and you're talking about it and you've written this book that really is a statement. <laughs> um, so I think that's a really great way to fight back. Um, so after you moved to Lebanon, uh, it's a big change and you lived there for how long? So I was in Lebanon for four years. Mm -hmm. uh, it was supposed to be our fifth year. I'm supposed to be in Lebanon right now. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, it was like, it was a shocking uh, switch uh, because there was such a huge cultural shock, yeah. societal shock. Um, the whole dynamic of your lifestyle is all of a sudden different. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. After, um, so after you moved and you had your first kid, what made you decide that you wanted to write a book? Like, what was the thing that sparked in your mind that you're like, yes, I need to do this? So after I got married, um, I decided to see if I should pursue a career. Um, so I was a teacher for a bit. And then I was like, no, you know what? I'm in Lebanon. I have the best opportunity to learn Islamic studies, which I've always aspired to do. I've always aspired to do Hausa studies. It was a dream of mine. Um, so I actually enrolled into Hausa for uh, as much as I could for about two years and a half because I was pregnant and then uh, as well because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And so I always knew that the information that I was getting from Hausa, I felt almost guilty that I was able to get this information and so many people could benefit from it abroad. Mm -hmm. It was like, I know so many people here in Canada that if they had the opportunity to study Islamic Hausa, uh, they wouldn't say no. And so I, there was always that guilt factor that I had all this amazing knowledge um, to gain from. And once I actually became pregnant, uh, the first thing I, I thought about after getting pregnant mm -hmm. was what was I going to teach my, like, my baby? What would, how was I going to make sure my baby didn't have the same experience that I had as being a minority in the community? Um, like grow without that, grow without feeling like there's no literature and context and uh, information provided to them. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, I didn't know if I had a boy or a girl. All I knew was that I had a baby to take care of. And I felt like it was my responsibility um, to do something, to change something, to present, to show God and to show my child that mm -hmm. it's important to make a change. It's important to believe in something and, and actually act through with it. So, yeah. Um, one question that comes to mind actually is, you know, while going down this whole process, I think it's important to first raise that, you know, living in the West, it's very hard to have the access to reliable sources um, of Muslim literature that are, you know, from the Shia perspective that are within our Islamic beliefs and also that really highlight um, the things that are important uh, because you do find Islamic literature, but it's very philosophy based sometimes and it's things that are hard to read. Um, yeah. So something like this is so important for um, little girls in order to be able to digest that information and understand it. Um, so how did the character Leia come to life? So Leia was inspired by my niece, um, mm -hmm. as well as Leia. Um, so she gets that name from her. 
And uh, when I see my my niece, I see a, a girl that um, loves knowledge, loves learning, loves playing, uh, loves to experience life optimistically. Mm-hmm. Um, yet she's so um, caring and loving for what Islam has. And so this character is really inspired by her. Um, the character in the book is a girl that is going to become uh, obligatory. She's going to have her uh, ninth birthday soon, so it's going to become wajib for her uh, wearing the hijab. And so she's always she's so preoccupied with what the celebration, the hijab celebration, that her mom's uh, throwing for her. She's so preoccupied with blowing the balloons and decoration that she completely forgets um, to write her hijab speech that her mom has requested for her to do. And so now Leia's on this journey of learning about the hijab and making sure that she wears the hijab properly before actually having the obligation of wearing it. Mm-hmm. Um, a question that comes to mind right now, just as you're talking, is, you know, within um, our society in today's day day and age, we have a lot of girls who are taking off the hijab or are feeling that it's a burden on them. Um, and you had written a beautiful post about, you know, the hijab, we can't tell people that it's our choice. Um, and instead, it's my choice to actually worship Allah. Yeah. So can you explain that a little bit more and explain why, what do you think is the cause, the root cause of these issues going on within our community? So the biggest issue is how we present the word hijab mm-hmm. into our context and into our literature and the way we speak about the hijab and what's been happening what's been circulating on social media is that the hijab is my choice therefore since the hijab is my choice i decide if i want to wear it and if i don't want to wear and that's completely false Mm -hmm. Um, there's no truth into that statement and that statement actually makes a detrimental effect on how people perceive the hijab Mm-hmm. Because the hijab is an obligation, it's wajib for every single girl to wear the hijab. There is no point in time, other than, of course, the girl was about to be killed or, or something mm-hmm. like that. But there is no, no, no reason that the hijab should not be worn by the female. There's no reason that the hijab becomes not an obligation for the girl mm-hmm. to wear. And so it's not that the hijab isn't, is, it's not that the hijab is our choice, it's not. The hijab is an obligation on us. However, it's our choice, it's our decision. If we want to use our free will in order to obey Allah and in order to worship Allah through wearing the hijab. Mm-hmm. And so the hijab is not our choice. It's it's an obligation, it's wajib. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very against that statement that a mm-hmm. lot of influencers use. Um, something that you make very prevalent within the book um... We have it right here, so I'll just pull, show that on the screen for people to take a look at. Um, this is how the book looks, and it consists of a lot. Um, it's you know pretty big if you want to take a quick look, <laughs> but it does go through a lot of different themes. Can you break down the themes within it? Because it's not just mentioning um, what the hijab is. I think it goes into a lot of important things. Like I think one of the cutest images within the book is, if you don't mind, um, right here, pulling this up and it shows like the sheikh and his wife helping out to clean the mosque. And I think that is so beautiful because it shows, um, it really teaches kids a lot about, you know, what 
Islam values and then taking away culture and taking away, um, you know, Western beliefs. Um, it really just relies on what is correct um, within Islam. So can you tell us a little bit about the themes within the book? <laughs> yeah. So this book um, doesn't talk about the hijab just being a form of modesty for males and that very uh, societal uh, definition of the hijab. This book is a full definition, a full philosophy analysis of the hijab. It really breaks down the hijab to every single section. Uh, why is it obligatory? How it should be worn? Um, the reasons behind it, the form of worship, the form of spirituality, the form of, of it being within society, how it's influenced by society. It's a full philosophy of the hijab um, geared for children uh, and young adults. And so some of the things that actually, when we talk about the hijab, although the hijab is a scarf that you wear, the hijab is also a part of a lifestyle. And so you can't be wearing the hijab without integrating the importance of salat, Mm -hmm. uh, and without you focusing it and knowing that you have a responsibility with society, you have an obligation, a wajib with society. Mm -hmm. and so a lot of the things that this book actually talks about is uh, how important it is to live an Islamic lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And like Leah in this book is actually trying to hurry up to go to Friday prayer um, so that she can talk to uh, the sheikha, mm -hmm. uh, the wife of the sheikh and discuss the hijab in detail with her. Um, and along the way, she meets so many people that she actually has this conversation as well with. Um, it also talks about uh, the male's responsibility in Islam. Uh, and his his form of, uh, I don't want to say hijab, mm -hmm. but his form of, of, of modesty. And mm -hmm. you can say that the male's hijab, but in fuqah, in, in jurisprudence, there's nothing called male hijab. And in a sense that it's just the, the context of the responsibilities of the male. And yeah. so this is geared for males as well, um, for young men, young boys to read as well, mm -hmm. uh, so that they can gain uh, knowledge and perspective uh, for their sisters, for their mom, for their wife, like future mm -hmm. wife. And it's good for, I like that you mentioned that because even though this, um, you know, book is written for girls and is aimed at girls, like yeah. you have the intention of even your son reading it later on and knowing oh. and understanding and learning because it's stuff mm -hmm. that we all should know. Um, yeah. So <laughs> self-publishing, how was that yeah. process? <laughs> and I say oh. that because I know how much you went through. <laughs> yeah, we were talking. Um, I remember being in Lebanon and talking to mm -hmm. you about it. Oh my God, <laughs> I'm telling you, self-publishing was the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, I didn't expect it to be this hard. And uh, you wrote the book in two days, so it's not even the book that was hard? <laughs> no, no, the book, I remember telling my husband, okay, I'm going to write a book. And two days later, me telling him, okay, I'm done writing the book. And he's just like, what? <laughs> um, yeah, no, writing the book was the easiest thing. Uh, it was publishing it that took a, at least a good 10 months um but like every day 10 mm -hmm. work um there's not enough knowledge there's not enough information out there on how to self-publish especially when you're trying to do things uh within a certain budget and mm -hmm. you're trying to like not integrate it into western society you want to keep full uh authority of the book it was really mm -hmm. difficult um there's so much that goes into writing and publishing a book because 
I had to figure out, okay, now that I wrote it, what do I do? I have to, well, print it in. Where do I print it? Let's see. So I don't have to email all these companies. I decided to print it in China. Okay, well, how do I ship it from China? Uh, and then me loving a whole nother issue too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Islamic books for anyone who doesn't know Islamic books or anything that is labeled as Islamic becomes dangerous. Oh, yeah. um, and so I had to deal with like trying to reach out to different companies in order to get this, these books, books shipped. So it's a miracle that they're even here. <laughs> um, I had the biggest problem because uh, every freight forwarder that I would contact uh, would ask, what's this book about? And then they would want to see some pictures in the book. And once mm -hmm. they see a Muslim image or once they read, because the book title is Why is the Hijab so special? There's no mm -hmm. way to get around it. Um, once they know that it's a Muslim book, they tell me this is a dangerous product. Uh, we can't sell, we can't send it. They're actually refusing uh, like a sale. Um, and Allah made it possible for me to actually send it. Um, because I searched and searched. I contacted at least 60 agents wow. um, and at least 90% declined. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it was really difficult because of the whole, uh, I, I want to say uh, racism against Muslims. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why did you decide to create Figs and Olives publications? So I decided that I wanted this to become my career. I wanted this to be something that I can always do. And so I wanted, um, number one, it's important for you to know how much um, control do you want to have on your book. And so I wanted to feel as though I can publish more and publish for other Muslim Shias. I contacted several publication companies, but I found it difficult um, to actually get your book accepted. Um, and then if it's accepted, they might want to change a lot in the book. Mm -hmm. um, and I really wanted to stay um, in terms of it, keeping it uh, fully under Allah's uh, prescribed definition of the hijab. Mm -hmm. So that's why I never contacted any Western uh, publication companies. And I decided that it was just time for me to take things into my own hand and uh, fix the the void and fix the emptiness of, of literature for children, even though there are incredible resources and publications out there um, for Muslims, uh, there's a certain understanding that I wanted to uh, stick on, stay on. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense. I mean, there are a lot of, um, you know, Muslim publications, but we are a minority within the Muslim community. And that we don't always have the resources for our community. So I think um, it's really nice that you raised that issue as well. Um, even though it's very difficult, it's not an easy process to go through, but people are learning from your um, process. And I think this is uh, the perfect way for people to learn and hear about your story. So when you um, were self-publishing and going through this whole process, what was the hardest thing that you found that you had to like self-teach um, that you didn't have information about? Uh, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had to really uh, self-learn everything um, from creating a business to how to, you know, announce it, how to do all that business analytical side of it. Mm -hmm. um, there wasn't as much support as I would have hoped for. There was support in the in the sense of you know 
do it. We need you. This is great. What you're doing is amazing. That, that was that was an incredible amount of uh, people that actually supported that sense was incredible. Um, however, there wasn't enough support as in what can I do to help you? What do you need for me to help you? What do you need for me to make this possible and make this easier? Um, there wasn't enough resources. So honestly, if anyone really needs help, please do reach out because I feel it's so important for us to work together, work work as a team. If I can't help you, I'll connect you with someone. But at least, you know, I, I, uh, I did my part as much as I And what's your advice for someone who is uh, seeking to self-publish their books or is seeking to start their own publication company? Um, my advice for them is uh, to know that what you're doing is incredible and to know that if you're passionate in this, then you're ultimately um, reaching to your perfection and, and, and trying to reach to your potential because there can never be enough Muslim books. Um, we need the, the more the merrier, really. There should never be a competition that, oh, they opened their own publication company. Oh, they did their own book. No, like it's actually the opposite. Um, mm -hmm. Like fulfill your dream and fulfill it within Allah's standards um and do something to leave for your children for your family um for to be recognized in front of allah and ahlul bayt that you know you try to do something you try to do a change because mm -hmm. books change uh children they change their they give them knowledge you're you're giving the child inspiration you're you're doing a huge impact and so honestly we need more authors we need more Uh, people interested in literature, uh, the community needs those individuals to reach their potential. Mm -hmm. During our pre-interview, um, something that stuck with me that was hilarious is when you said, you know, I'm trying to publish this book um, in Canada from a village where I look out my window and I see cows and chickens. <laughs> <laughs> well, the village I lived in is so small. Um, I can't even come to describe how small it is. Um, there was, it's such an old village, you know, mm -hmm. you go inside and you see a huge herd of cows with a dog or like, <laughs> it's the funniest thing. And then like, you the have electricity like, cuts out, you have the water, you have like, it's so cold there, mm -hmm. you have a heater on, yet ice is like coming out of your mouth, um, <laughs> that fog of ice. Yeah. So it was so difficult because I'm like trying to call all these companies. Um, through like hangout through like <laughs> I don't have a phone like you know I can't ever get them to call me back and I'm trying to act professional you know like yeah yeah I live in Canada like I can't tell them I live in a store there's no internet a lot of it like you know it cuts mm -hmm. off huge problems it's it's hilarious but I'm so grateful um, for those problems for for those difficult mm -hmm. But I think something important to raise is that because of this, um, the wrong version of the book was published, right? Yeah, so uh, the printing company in, in uh, China, there's two versions. Uh, so there had been one version with a few minor typos, you know, like instead of your, it's actually you. So very, very small typos, but there's about four or five. Um, so it was a huge hit on me. I felt really <laughs> sad that that happened but they actually printed that version instead of printing the other version unfortunately mm -hmm. so alhamdulillah um 
but of course if any i'm gonna be posting um uh, something on my instagram if anyone needed that information i have it okay what to fix but they're very minor but yeah unfortunate i know they bug you as an author <laughs> um, <laughs> and one important question is how are you funding figs and olives publications like what's your plan um was it all self-funded at the beginning do you have any donations um how are you moving forward with this so uh my husband and i were very uh, we're very passionate about this and believe in this publication like very much so it was all self-funded um from our savings and uh what we plan to do is every single penny that comes um, from the book goes mm -hmm. back to the business. Um, it doesn't fund anything else. Yeah. And it's just so that um, we can have enough capital for the next book. Um, and so, inshallah, uh, that way they can just keep going on. Yeah. And at the beginning of the show, I mentioned that you are helping another author to publish her books. Um, and there are, I think, five books, right? Yeah, so uh, about that. So an amazing author uh, reached out to me from uh, Dearborn. Her name is Mariam Shrada. Uh, she's actually become such a such a friend uh, mm -hmm. to me. Um, and so she wrote these incredible books. They're very small. They're about sixteen pages, but they're amazing. The content in it is like nothing else. I'm extremely excited uh, for this next batch of books to come out, and. Uh, it's going to be like a, a box with five different books in it and it all has images. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's geared for the ages of between seven all the way to 12. So it's a really nice age group uh, and they're very beneficial. Thank you so much, Sahad. Before we um, end our show, what is your final piece of advice for our listeners today? Uh, what I would like to say is for everyone to know that in everything they're doing, um, they should recognize that whatever they're doing, they can transform it into a worship of Allah. And so your work, um, say you're not a publisher, say you're not an author, make that work as a dentist, as, an, as a doctor, make that work embody Islam and always strive to only worship Allah through your lifestyle. Uh, don't allow society to change your lifestyle so that it fits it. Change society's life, change society so that it fits Islam. Um, and just stay true to Allah, stay, to, stay true to the religion of Islam and uh, reach your potential, strive for your potential on this earth. Everyone has potential to change, to make a difference. Uh, and it's important to, to do that. Thank you so much, Sahar. It was a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you. You were just listening to the You Mentor talk show. If you missed this or future shows, you can always hear the replay on the You Mentor website under uh, talk shows. And um, you can always catch up on SoundCloud, on YouTube, and on, um, I forgot the last one, but we will let you know, Spotify. Um, so just a reminder that uh, you can use the Inspire module on the Emoja app to ask questions for the speakers, which we can integrate into the show later on. And you can always ask questions before our next show, which is on October 31st. 